Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of First Time Dads. I am Richard Innes. And I'm Steve Mile. And this week uh, we've got a very special guest, as always, uh, Dr. Chris Van Tulliken, who uh, you might know from programs like Horizon, uh, Operation Ouch, and, you know, just generally being a face that pops up everywhere. Um, Chris, welcome. That's, that's very nice of you to say that, yeah. And I guess... <laughs> Speci- kind of an intro. Specifically, the Doctor Who gave up drugs. Yes, which is your new TV show. Uh, well, the new version of the new TV show, which is on Wednesday night. It's on it's on this Wednesday night, and it's series two. So we did a series last year where I went to a GP practice and tried to uh, institute lifestyle measures and stop adults taking so many medications. And this time, I've done it with children. Great. Chris is also to make him extra qualified to be on the First Time Dads podcast, a first time dad. First time dad. I am. I am. And I should say, I'm also a real doctor. I'm, a, I'm an infectious diseases doctor. I treat adults at University College Hospital in London. There you go. That's a very good point um, to clarify. This is Chris, Chris does actually know what he's talking about. <laughs> he, is well, he hasn't just got a call. He's not one of these telly doctors. He's not like Dr. Fox. Yeah. He's done the studying. <laughs> he's done the studying. He's done the exams. He's got the certificates. Well, comparisons are odious. But <laughs> I have. I can show you. I can show you any identification you need to see. <laughs> and how is being a first-time dad? Um, I have hugely underestimated the entire project. <laughs> That's I, it in I, a nutshell, thought, isn't it? That's it yeah. in a nutshell. That is the conclusion I think everyone comes to pretty quickly, don't they? Yeah, I thought it would be like other difficult things I've done, maybe mountaineering expeditions or going to medical school or things like that, and it's not like that at all. <laughs> um, and it's not a... Um, it's not a series of problems that are amenable to rational solutions. Uh, you know, it's a it's a set of much more complicated things. And I think the the other confusing thing is that the good bits are also the bad bits, aren't they? That the the bit at four in the morning where you've all had to get into bed together and you're all covered in vomit and diarrhea, and you know that that in some ways the rite of passage that makes it all quite rewarding, but it's also the thing that. Maybe you weren't expecting when you when you signed up. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a nice way to look at it. It's like when when your kid is screaming at two in the morning, um, you're standing there rocking them back to sleep. That is not a that is not a mm. fun. If somebody said to me that two years ago, I wouldn't have listed that as one of my fun hobbies or activities. But actually, that process of calming your child and being able to kind of give your child that kind of that's the nice bit isn't it I, well it's the bit that if I were infinitely rich I would probably farm out to some third party and then regret later yeah, or yes. you know I wouldn't be able to join in those conversations later on where parents are going you know I remember the, the hard years and I'd be going oh yeah. I got the, uh, got the nanny to do it no judgement to anyone who does have a nanny I was brought up by a nanny myself and uh, very happily so uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> parenting yeah. is a series of judgments I guess which is yeah. one of the problems of making a program involving parents and children is um there is a i have a very strong desire not to judge any Mm. other parent well that's the thing isn't it i think once you get into it you realize how hard it is you have a newfound respect for other people you know who are parents Mm. and to a degree more respect for your parents because you think christ Mm. my parents went through this yeah with me 
you know, yeah. yet and they you still... And you know what a little sod you were. Yeah, and you think, it's, it's, yeah. exactly, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I think the biggest thing for me is the time that it takes mm. as well. I don't know whether you've noticed. I mean, I know how busy you are. But the, the if you've got a busy life and you've got to find a way to be a parent at the same time, there's some pinch points. I yeah, I definitely have had to reorganise my entire life. I was not in any way professionally, emotionally or intellectually prepared for being a dad. Yeah. But I think, we're, I think we're getting it together. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we are. 11 months in. Yeah, yeah. She's yeah. 11 months old, is she? 11 months old. Little Lyra. Yeah. You greeted us at the front door when we came in. Yeah, we should say actually we're in Chris's very lovely London home in your very lovely front room. Um, it doesn't look like it's been torn apart by a child, I must admit. You no know, injection kind of molding plastic. Together. I, can't, I can't see any... Yeah, she doesn't come into this room. <laughs> <laughs> We've got one of those yeah. at our house. Do you know what? I've got an open plan downstairs, and I remember everyone saying, oh, that'd be nice when you have a baby, and now I would kill for some doors and some walls. Yeah. Because got... there's no there's no yeah. private space. Yeah. Yeah, it's all about having doors that you can shut. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah we've got room it. with things that we don't want stained things that we don't care about in the next room Jesus my downstairs is just a free-for-all um, <laughs> anyway, to come back to what we're here to talk to Chris about you mentioned Chris that the sort of problems of judgment around particularly around the show you've done have you have you had because this is this is series two I'm right saying, mm-hmm. isn't it? so after series one the idea of kind of being I don't, I'm trying to think of a way to sum up your stance but you know questioning the use of drugs did you have quite a lot of pushback from people did you have a bit of a reaction we should point out that Chris's new show um, is actually about kids and, and, and drugs and oh, we didn't say that did we sorry yes um, good to a, clarify that Chris's first. new show is Chris what do you describe your new show about it's two episodes on BBC One and we cover four subjects which uh, I felt were examples where drugs are overused where drugs may have Um, factors influencing their use that are not appropriate so industry being a good example um, or where there are diagnoses that might be in question and and all of them where other other measures would be more effective than giving a drug some of the time and it's it's a it's a really difficult project to do with kids because you are both um, judging parents giving medication and judging parenting styles and I think I I hope through the program we really try and point out that you know being a parent you are a vulnerable person and you're vulnerable to exploitation in all kinds of ways and I I have been surprised at the extent to which I have been manipulated by various forces around me um, into doing things for Lyra medically that I think in the clear light of day looking back after I've had a good night's sleep think why I'm not I'm I'm surprised I took that shortcut. We had her tongue tied, for example, so mm. full disclosure, we did that. And I think I would, it didn't have any benefit. It was all a bit weird. We went to someone's front room and looking back, it seems like a really weird, eccentric, non-evidence-based, unscientific thing for me to have mm. done. But at the time, you're just desperate. That's quite mm. scary to hear from a, from a qualified mm. doctor because I've I, I felt like that, certainly, mm. in the sense of, well, you're just kind of putting yourself entirely in the hands of these medical professionals, so I'm assuming you know what you're talking about. But that's quite, it's almost a little bit frightening to think that somebody with your qualifications kind of has that same concern, that actually, well, hang on, I've kind of been coerced, not coerced, but sort of guided down this path. Well, there's two bits, isn't there? There's the bit where you you go to visit a medical professional and they're making decisions on your on your child's health, which you've had an experience with, I've heard, almost yeah. with Ben, and you know, I briefly just spent a night in hospital when he had... A temperature and a fever that we couldn't bring down, and they doctors didn't know why it was. So they started to run antibiotics into him in case it was 
something yeah. more sinister, which it turned out not to be. Which I guess is a um, an un- unnecessary in. That's a phone, by the way. Sorry, that's, the fire alarm. That's my alarm saying I have to do this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Uh, and and then on the other hand, there is the when you become a doctor yourself, if you like, at home, where you are giving a over-the-counter medicine to your yeah. child, like what we were talking about, cowpop. Everyone who listens to this podcast who's a parent will have heard of Pat Cowpop. Yeah. Which for the Description, Chris, is basically... It's just paracetamol, isn't it? It's liquid paracetamol. So each of the stories we cover in the programme, we cover antidepressants, the medication for attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, ADHD. We cover cow's milk allergy and infant formulas. And we cover cowpol. Each story illustrates a slightly different um, point about the way we make medical decisions as parents for our children Mm -hmm. and, and their best interests. In general, I am laying the blame at the door of the profession, my profession, or at the door of the industry selling the drugs, or the structures that um, allow doctors to prescribe things. Um, but I think the Calpol story is, is simply that what is written on the packet is not appropriate advice. Mm-hmm. And the way that Calpol has been marketed, in my view, is not appropriate for a drug that is, in some ways, extremely dangerous. Mm-hmm. I mean, paracetamol, we all think of as being a very safe drug. We use it every day, but hundreds of people in this country die every year mm-hmm. of paracetamol overdose, most of them not deliberate, most of them accidental. Paracetamol is the leading cause of acute liver failure in the Western world. Um, wow. This is a drug that if you get it wrong, yeah. the consequences are very severe. It poisons the liver, and unlike other organs, we don't have a liver machine. So if you poison the liver, your only option is then a, a liver transplant if it can't recover, and there aren't many livers available. So the, the consequences of getting a dose of paracetamol wrong, particularly when you're giving the drug multiple times, are very severe. Mm. And I don't think that we... I'd love to hear your perspectives on it from, from what I encounter, have encountered myself as a parent and my friends and the people we filmed... We do not live in a culture that we have a lot of respect for liquid paracetamol suspension. And the biggest selling version of that by a country mile is Calpol. I think my approach to kids' medicines before I became a parent was I remember being the little plastic clear spoon being given to you Mm. when you were young. Extremely sweet liquid. Um... Drugs like, I mean, not even drugs, whether there's there's a non-drug, which is for coughs and stuff, called Tixilix. Mm. There's one, uh, Benalin, I think, mm. is another kid's drug. Delicious. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're sweet. Yeah. And, and and when you look at the cow pole it, in the little plastic syringe, it's pink, it's very sticky, and it's sweet. It does not look like a uh, plastic-covered paracetamol capsule yeah. that you get. Then no, but I think most, most of us, almost all of us, when we first crack open that first bottle of cowpole usually after the first vaccinations when we're parents yeah. it's it's like time travel isn't it you go back yeah. suddenly you're zooming back two three decades going i remember this smell yeah. and it smells great it smells like a day off school it smells like holiday yeah. it's the smell of comfort you know and it's it was a very kind of weird little happy bit of nostalgia for me but then to play devil's advocate i suppose and I, i'm i'm not necessarily taking an opposite stance to you guys here but i suppose the argument would be well 
this is this is medicine that you want children to take. Therefore, it, you're yeah, going to I have no create idea. a product that right. is more appealing to kids. Right. It, 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 it's totally appropriate yeah. that cowpole tastes good. As Mary Poppins said, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine <laughs> go down. If you've ever chewed up a paracetamol tablet, it's a ver- like most no, drugs, no, no, because it's toxic, it has a very, very foul taste. Mm. Um, most of these... The most pills that you would ever encounter would taste very bad. And so you have to disguise the taste and you have to persuade a child to take something when they probably feel nauseated mm. and have, have a reduced appetite. So I have no objection to Calpol tasting good. Yeah. And uh, the syringe is unquestionably the easiest method of giving it way easier than a spoon. It's a fantastic device. Um, and, uh, you know, full disclosure, I give I give Calpol un- yeah. unquestionably. And on a few occasions when I have given... Lyra Cowpole, it has felt like a miracle. You have yeah, a, a sick, floppy, roasting hot child that, you know, I as an infection doctor am thinking maybe it really is time to go to A&E. And you give the cowpole and half an hour later they're, they're asleep, comfortable, it's cool and happy. It's interesting what you said about the cultural aspect because I'm just thinking, not only of myself, but my close friends, my family members and stuff, like Ben's had to be on antibiotics a couple of times. Ben had surgery at Great Ormond Street on his, on his skull when he was about six months old. He, he, he's fine. He's absolutely fine. Um, but um, as well as that, he's had a couple of fevers and a couple of uh, viruses and stuff. And he's been given antibiotics on occasion. Now, these it, on the occasion he was given antibiotics, this is prescribed by a doctor. I've got this from you know from prescri- on prescription. And yet I'm still being very, very mindful of what's he taking, how much we're giving him, you know, kind of take tracking everything and then as you say paracetamol in my mind I mean this is not prescribed I've not got any medication Ben's teething at the moment and so there's been certain weeks where he's had a hit of paracetamol every night for three or four nights and then we're saying well hang on a minute that's, we should probably whoa, 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 whoa. we need to we need to that's enough now you know he needs to have at least a few days where he doesn't have any but what am I basing that on I'm just basing that on the fact that well actually we should probably mm, yeah okay that's a bit much isn't it so we I, I, we are really, really casual with it, and the use of it is almost as kind of a parent. It is a bit of a kind how of parenting much, tool. Oh, Chris, in your show, which I've watched, um, how much is it that we we buy a day? We we buy five point two tons of cowpole each day That's as a nation. Terrifying. Yeah, which is which is what, what, what is what is the upper limit? As I say, like in that example where you know we're to, to help, it. and you know this is not we're not casually chucking it into him so we can sleep. He's clearly in some distress because he's got you know. The, the so thing. what is the what is the sort of recommended actual kind of maximum number of days in a row that you would that you would give a child paracetamol? I think provided you follow the guidance mm. on the packet, um, it's perfectly safe. To give it, mm. and it is fundamentally a very safe drug. Very, yeah. very few uh, deaths are attributable in children to parents getting it wrong, but they do happen um, each year and around the world um, in countries where you might not expect it. Um, the things you have, there are two things I think you've got to be careful of: giving it very regularly for a prolonged period of time, mm. particularly if your child is at the small end or the young end of the the dosage ranges on the pack, and um, uh, and the other thing that may happen is parents tend to think Calpol is one drug and they may not realise that there are other drugs with liquid paracetamol. So there's also a Calprofen, um, for example, which has ibuprofen, but there are other brands of liquid paracetamol. So you, it would be easy to double up on Nurofen and Calprofen and, mm. and give a double dose of ibuprofen and you could easily do the same thing with another brand containing Calpol. Mm. And we're, we're talking as well about about when it's appropriate when is it appropriate to give a child cowpole so 
Am I right in saying that if you give the paracetamol, the chances are it's going to help an adult sleep. You you will sleep better. So if you kids distressed and you give them some cowpole, are you doing it for you or for them? Yeah, oh, oh, that's, that's you, the exactly, question. exactly. So are you doing it for you or for them? I I think the indications for cowpole are pain and fever with distress. So it's a very good drug at reducing fever. <laughs> But if the child isn't distressed, yeah. but they have a fever, there's no need no. to reduce a fever. And people, I think there's a, quite a widespread misconception that if you have a fever, you are at risk of a seizure, and that if you take paracetamol, you reduce the risk of having a fit or a seizure. And that is not true. Fevers can put some children at risk of seizures, but giving Calpol or liquid paracetamol suspension doesn't seem to reduce that risk. Mm. So the crucial thing, I think, the packet is... Uh, inappropriate about is the fact that uh, you don't need to give it for fever alone Mm -hmm. and you don't always need to give it for pain and discomfort you should really do cuddles and kisses before Calpol and I guess the thing I feel is that Calpol like all drugs has severe side effects potentially it is potentially extremely dangerous and you should always just take a breath Mm -hmm. and hesitate before you do it and I think I I'm sure we all have friends um who have found that there is a mission creep with giving it where you start giving it before school. You give it preemptively before there's a problem because then you can get a good night's sleep. And I think there are some really good, sensible, smart parents out there who are doing that. And I can well see that I would do that Certainly, yeah. um, Zoe and I have had conversations where she has been wanting to give Jackson cowpole. And I've been saying, I, I don't think we should give it to him I don't think he needs it I don't want to take a side in this no no of course let's be personalised of course of course but um, I've certainly been at high to tail off work with Jackson before when he's had a a temperature Um, and he's just been lying next to me on the bed just hot with a a slightly raised temperature uh, just really sleepy not in any pain as such Mm. just wiped out and I think it's probably since you and I had a conversation at Christmas Chris uh, about um, the show that I realised uh, the whole fever thing and uh, you know did some internet research and this idea that uh, I, get, I guess it hadn't really occurred to me before that the reason your body is raising the temp- your temperature is to try and kill yeah. whatever it is that's causing your yeah, the fever's there for a reason and, and, and as you say in the show the kids are particularly effective at, at doing this so it's certainly that's a theoretical consideration, but I think it's a valid one to say that we know there are some diseases you can treat with fever. So the old treatment for syphilis used to be infect, to infect patients with malaria. And the malarial fever, wow, which is a very high that. fever, would kill the syphilis, yeah. Um, Unlikely to be a for first-time dads. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's not. That's like injecting your child with malaria. This, this is, is a, a historical example. <laughs> <laughs> But it's it's. It, I think I think there is reason to think that sometimes if a child has a fever, that is that is a a, a natural process. I think we have to be a little bit beware of of, of embracing all things natural. But yeah, it, it, the instance you give, and I we had this last week of a hot, sweaty, sleepy child, provided they are you know making eye contact and they have all the all the appropriate signs of signs of being essentially healthy and not needing to go to A and E. Um, there's no reason to give them paracetamol. We, we had a meningitis scare with Ben a few months ago where he had one of those really horrendous rashes and very mm. you know, very high fever, sort of 39 something. Um, and so we had him in hospital. And it was a very you know scary experience, of course, and there'd be plenty of people who've gone through something similar. 
And he ended up being in for three days because the doctors were concerned enough that they thought, right, we just need to monitor this. And he had the lumbar puncture, which is utterly horrendous. Right. Um, but I remember the doctor kind of saying something very similar to what you're saying, Chris, in the sense that I think we'd got to sort of day two or three. And of course, he's in a hospital. He's surrounded by nurses who getting regular checks. And they decided to stop the paracetamol because it's like, right, well, we need to actually see where he is realistically without the paracetamol yeah. in terms of the temperature mm. and, you know, where is the fever. So the fever went up again. But obviously there was a good reason for it. They need to, kind of, you know, you can't mask these things. Um, I mean, look, most parents will, you know, once you've got your eye in and you've been a parent for a few months, you know when a child's really yeah. crying and unhappy and distressed by the fever, that when then it's brilliant yeah. to give some paracetamol. Yeah. But if the child is just drowsy and you, you know it's just a minor upper respiratory tract infection, usually they've got a bit of diarrhoea, not giving paracetamol is a perfectly fine thing to do yeah. and indeed that is what the paediatric guidelines say to do mm. so my, my my issue so so my issues are i think the pack should be appropriately labeled because mm. i think the the information on the pack is, is is leading parents to give it unnecessarily um and then we should all just be a little bit aware of how vulnerable we are to marketing campaigns that normalize mm. the use of these drugs. What is it about the marketing for Cowpool that, that's potentially bothered you slightly? So if you, um, I, I'm, legally I have to be a little yeah, bit I appreciate delicate we here, but I think it's it's fair to say if, if, if anyone who goes on the internet and watches some advertisements for, for Cowpool will find them hugely entertaining. They're often voiced by um, Stephen Fry, for example, he's, he's voiced a few of them in there. So you get a national treasure voicing it and it shows kids doing hilarious, wonderful things and the, the slogan is something like, let's kids be kids, I think. Yeah. And so there is this idea that as a nation, a normal part of bringing a British child is taking a pretty regular dose of, of paracetamol or, or, well, in fact, branded Calpol. Um, and I think we then uncovered an internal um, presentation about the, the marketing strategy, which made it explicit that the aim was to market the drug emotionally. Um, it was to tap into parents' you know, feelings about the drug rather than uh, marketing it rationally and saying this is an effective drug and the evidence says you should use mm-hmm. it. A much better thing mm-hmm. is to say, you know, this is, this is a, a normal, cool, healthy, fun. It's a fun thing. Yeah. It's a lifestyle thing. Yeah. Um, that's how I interpreted it, I should, I should say. Um, and so I just don't feel that is an appropriate way yeah. of marking, marketing a, a, a drug that is, a, you know, like... All you, you like, have a captive a audience. You have a captive audience. I mean, I, to give you an example, this is a, this is a different, perhaps a slightly different conversation. But Infocol. Yeah. Um, when Ben was a couple of months oh, old, got Infocol. Exactly. Bottles in every room. Exactly. So when Ben was, because yeah, of course, because your little one, Iris, she's, she's that age. And when Ben was very little and a newborn, you know, we were told a couple of times he's a bit colicky, which I, I still don't quite understand. And I'm sure we could talk about this until the cows come home. I still don't quite understand what that means. I don't know what colic He's is. He's got a bit of wind and he gets quite upset about it. Okay. If that's colicky, that's colicky. So of course what happens is somebody tells us about, oh, you have to try Infocol. Okay. So I go and buy Infocol from Sainsbury's. We give it to him that night, that night before his breastfeed, before he goes to sleep. And sure enough, he slept a bit better. Now, whether that was anything to do with the Infocol, I don't know. But of course, after that, for the next three months, we were never without Infocol. It went everywhere. Yeah. And so you kind of have, and I, I remember saying to my wife at the time, we, this is the, per, we are the, I mean, for, I have yeah. to come up with a medical product for kids because this is it now. We are absolutely bought into the use of Infocol. I have no idea whether it worked or it didn't, yeah, we're, but we're, we're not going to go without it. We're in Infocol at the moment. Um, I think the, the, the theory behind it is your kid's got, trapped wind or 
and it helps the little bubbles join yeah. up and make a big bubble and get you a, a burp out of the way. Now, Iris gets very distressed by it. Zoe gives uh, Iris Infocol before she breastfeeds. Um, I don't know whether it works. If, if it makes Zoe's life easier yeah. and she's the one in it and it's not doing any harm to Iris, then I'm, fu- I'm fine with it. Yeah. Um, but my point is, well, there's a lot of research done. There is a reasonable amount of research done on these products that is independent, and there's been a big review of them. And um, the there is no very compelling evidence that products like Infocol uh, seem to work very well, if I can pick my yeah. way through that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's <laughs> well, not good evidence, yes. is, is, is what I would say. And and I could probably speak more strongly <laughs> than that. Um, however, they do become... Talismans, but this or, is what I mean. Or, yeah, or they become a little fetish yeah, that they carry around. Yeah. You think as a parent, yeah. you're doing something. Yeah, that's what it is. It, it taps into. It's worth reading. It's worth also. Feel. It's worth reading the ingredients on Infocol, um, and and I think it's worth asking the question. So it contains it's got um, sugar. Uh, well, it's sugar, but it also contains these um, these chemicals that break down the bubbles. So uh, dimethicone or dimethicone. And uh, I don't think we understand particularly well what those chemicals will do to the growing infant biome or how they're absorbed in the body or how they're metabolized or how they're excreted. And so I think that precautionary principle of just going, probably giving regular synthetic chemicals about which there isn't good evidence is, 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 is a worthwhile thing, avoiding if you can. Mm. However, getting some sleep as a parent is also well worth there doing. Is that. I mean, I guess my point is that for anyone marketing to to new parents, it, it I mean yeah. it's a bit it's, it's shooting fish yeah. in a barrel, isn't it? Yeah. Because yeah. number one, you're desperate to make your child feel better. Number two, you're desperate to get some sleep. And number three, if anything even seems to work, you're going to keep giving it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so you it, it, you know we are the perfect target market yeah. for anyone who's which, creating a new product, yeah. which I guess yeah. sort of leads us into your the aspect of your second show, which we haven't we I haven't watched, but I understand about infant formula, which is you know this. Um, so I, I'm very passionate about this. In fact, much more passionate than I am about Calpol. I think Calpol, we should probably all just give a little bit less, and uh, and that's probably the, it should be marketed in a different way. That's my kind of headline on Calpol. I don't have a huge amount else to say on it. But the cow's milk allergy story, I think, is one of the most uh, egregious and nasty examples of um, of. Um, of a condition that is pushed quite heavily by people who stand to profit from it that I have ever encountered making this program or any other program or in my career as a doctor. Houses. Can you can you just outline specifically what, what the issue is in terms of so what the problem is? Cow's milk allergy is the thing that probably m- many of your listeners will have come across yeah. because the symptoms for cow's milk allergy are um, extremely broad. So um, diarrhea, uh, colic, whatever that is, um, constipation, uh, crying, sleeplessness, sleeping too much, vomiting, sicking up, reflux. Stuff I, the babies I, I've just given a, a description <laughs> of my own child yeah. on any given day, yeah. week. Yeah. Um, and I think that is... So any child, even breastfed, can have this if they're either getting formula, or all infant formulas are made from cow milk, and supposedly the, antigen, the, the allergens from cow's milk, if the mother drinks or eats dairy products, they can also get into <laughs> breast milk. So you have a situation where very few children would be unable to be considered for this diagnosis. Okay. 
The only way of making the diagnosis is, in the case of a child drinking formula, is to um, switch the child to a specialist formula um, for uh, two weeks. What's in there? Um, sorry. Um, the only way of making the, the diagnosis is to switch the child to a specialist formula for two weeks and see if symptoms improve. But of mm. course, also, all of these symptoms wax and wane anyway, mm. don't they? I mean, children just get better and you generally are going to do the difficult thing at the moment of most horror. So anyway, let's say you are then able to convert your child from the milk that they're happy with to one of these hypoallergenic formulas and symptoms improve. You then are going to continue to be prescribed these formulas. But there's no blood test. There's no good diagnostic. Now, the reason I think I find I've found the story quite um, upsetting personally is that the guidelines are um, promoted by charities that are funded by the companies that profit from selling the specialist formulas. Wow. The guideline committee has on it... Um, people who are um, taking money as individuals and who are whose uh, various research institutes and teaching institutes are funded by the industry that profits from the products. The basic research about the condition and how it might work, a huge amount of it is funded by the same industries, by, this, by you know, a relatively small number of companies, the companies selling formula. Um, and the teaching of uh, your GPs, the nurses, the healthcare workers, the midwives that... Mm. Um, we have all met in our first year of being dads uh, is all undertaken by um, at events that are sponsored by it won't surprise you to hear the companies that make these products mm -hmm. and indeed there's an allergy academy that we look at in the program that is um, uh, based at St Thomas's and is funded by the industry so at every imaginable level where whoever you're trying to get information about this condition that is itself hard to diagnose and rather vague, there is almost no way of escaping industry or inform information that is in some way funded mm. by industry. That's extraordinary. And um, and there is that that for me is the reason why in in you know the last um, ten years or so we've gone from selling six million pounds of specialist formula a year to sixty four million pounds of specialist formula around sixty sixty million pounds. So it's it's multiplied by ten. Now the argument is put that well that's because um, it's very hard to uh, it's very hard to diagnose and it's it's great news that we're, we're, we're catching people. more people. Um, I find that very hard to believe, actually, because cow's milk allergy definitely does exist. But if a child with a severe cow's milk allergy um, keeps drinking cow's milk, they become very, very unwell. It, you know, they won't they won't just do slightly badly. Eventually, it will become very clear. So I can't believe that we were only catching one in ten of these. But are they sorry to just to play devil's advocate? Are there grades of of allergy in the sense that some some people may you know if you have a severe cow's milk? Yeah, exactly. In the sense that well, that's a, that's a very good question. So there are a number of different kinds of allergy. We're talking about a thing called delays cow's cow's milk allergy. So the allergy that lots of people will have heard of is the anaphylaxis type allergy, mm. where and that definitely does exist for milk, where you have milk or peanuts or whatever the thing you're allergic to. Yep. Is and um, you have very uh, you develop leaky blood vessels. Your throat can swell, your tongue tongue can swell, and breathing can become a problem. And that that can be a very serious rapid onset. We're talking about a delayed type allergy where 
yes, it can it can grumble along and it's less immediately severe. And it is certainly real. Some children are allergic to cow's milk. But um, what you tend, what is not credible really is that we were either missing nine out of 10 of these diagnoses um, 10 years ago, or that the rate of the illness has multiplied by 10 in reality in the last decade. That there's yeah, because been some... what would be in the factor that would have changed? The, that the rate of the illness yeah. has gone up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so th- there is, there are, those arguments are theoretical possibilities, mm. but they all sit within an environment that is so contaminated by the people yeah. who are profiting. It, it makes it uncomfortable listening to hear that, yeah, really that, that, you know, as we discussed earlier, and you're as a new parent, you are kind of a sponge and you are at the beck and call of these kind of you know stories you're vulnerable you're vulnerable you? yeah mm-hmm. you are you are um and if there's a, a industry that's pushing you in a certain direction or not it's pushing you, but it's your only source of in, information you don't know about it yeah. you don't know who's behind what you're being told historically this is an industry that i think it's fair to say um has been problematic when it comes to their marketing campaigns mm. this so, is specifically specialist formula. well i'm talking about specialist formulas but, but formula the people generally. who make the specialist formulas also make infant yeah. formula and um so the infant formula industry has had a number of uh, big problems marketing formula to women who are breastfeeding particularly in the developing mm. world i think they should be uneasy bedfellows for anyone doing medical research on children or, or investigating children's medicines and yet um, there is there is a huge amount of influence that they have in this these is, teaching events and frankly at the Royal College of this, Pediatrics and Childhood. This is the kind of stuff you're talking about where it, you know a load of free breast milk is given away in the developing world and then there's a, a market created for it and the mothers feel that they should be pursuing that. Yeah, market. and this was historically done in the, in the 70s. It was very bad, but there have been... Um, recent scandals yeah. in Turkey and in China um, by the companies that are sponsoring the events that uh, your midwives and GPs are mm. I think that's the bit I find the bit I find alarming is that I have always assumed that any advice you would receive from a GP or a midwife or, or a health or a charity you would assume that a charity would not uh, would be giving you the best impartial yeah. advice they can yeah. the problem is that charities of course can take money from industry and that's the thing I, I assume the the, the the recommendations, the advice comes from the basis of knowledge learned in textbooks, not necessarily learned at a paid-for event by a, a big corporation. Yeah, you've fundamentally misunderstood <laughs> how medicine works. <laughs> I really have, and yeah. that's quite frightening. And the argument that is advanced in the programme by the doctor that I go and speak to who runs the Allergy Academy is that, well, there isn't, you know, otherwise there's no way of educating people. Yeah. But Come and stay in this nice five-star hotel... With a swimming pool, and we'll, t- we'll it's, give it's, you a briefing about. It's more. Su- it's more subtle. Is it? Well, uh, I'm sure that does go on, and but I I don't know about that yeah. in this particular instance. It does go on within medicine as a yeah, whole around yeah, yeah. the globe. In this particular instance, um, I think some of what's happening is quite well-meaning. It's easy to persuade yourself. You, you're interested in the health of children. You want to make them better, and so someone is offering you funding to research the disease of your interest, and then they're also giving you funding to spread the word about the disease that you're passionate about. And it's easy to see how you can fall into a situation where um, maybe you're you're not quite as impartial as you thought. The difficulty is that now I think any good doctor knows full well that 
um, when you take money from industry, you stop being able to give good advice. Um, or it diminishes the quality of the advice you can. So there's good evidence showing that doctors who take money from industry give different advice to doctors who don't. So if you did a voiceover for a cowpole advert... Well, I'm in discussions at the moment. With, uh, I mean, this is the worst imaginable program for me to have sort of set myself up as a brand of, you know, anti-industry doctor is not, you know, I've really... You don't get inv- invited to any of these conventions. You're in the face so. of Holland and Barrow. No, I don't even get a free pen. Um, I, as a reflection of, of how difficult the infant formula industry has been, um, there are World Health Organization and UNICEF guidelines that govern what is allowed to happen on within NHS hospitals, and the hospitals have all signed up to a thing called the Baby Friendly Initiative, that says that industry-funded teaching can't happen about infant formulas. And the difficulty is that the, the guidelines are having difficulty keeping up with... Um, do they exactly cover the specialist formulas? If industry are in a slightly separate room at the event or if the event is happening next to the hospital but not technically inside the hospital, does that break the World mm. Health Organization guidelines? Um, I think the guidelines should be followed in their spirit, mm. which is that healthcare professionals should not be educated by the, breast, the infant formula industry. So if we've got a listener or listeners who's child has got a milk allergy or the concerns of a milk allergy yeah, in inverted yeah, commas, yeah. what what are they, what do we do what do they do what we what we what are we telling them or advising them which direction should we should what questions should they be asking yeah it is a real problem i think they have to um try and research the i think they need to see a specialist they need to try and research that specialist's links with industry but it is extremely hard to find a paediatric allergist um, without some links to industry and I think they need to just keep on asking questions and being sceptical and ensuring that they are open-minded to the possibility that actually they have a normal healthy child. In fact when a child does have an allergy it is often quite obvious you know my, my nephew had a number of food allergies and Associated that was, um, you know, rectal bleeding, severe weight loss, stunted growth, really bad vomiting. Mm. It, it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't a normal child. Yeah. And so, however, I, I personally, in the filming of this story, and I believe that I have a healthy child without a calcium allergy. Whilst I was filming it, I was constantly going as I read more of the symptoms. I go, well, maybe, maybe Lyra is in this small number of yeah. children that really does have. Yeah, it. it's human so nature, isn't it? Of course. Yeah. And what we all want. I, I just feel the the big thing about this program is I have tried not to blame any parents, mm. partly because I have felt so yeah. so vulnerable um, myself. We're not saying that the child is being damaged by giving the specialist formula, are we? Or are we say, or are we just saying that someone's profiteering from our? There, there are two instances of possible harm. One of which is if your child is um, does not have an allergy and is drinking. The normal formula, but has you know, is is a particularly refluxy, constipated, colicky baby. Um, if you try and switch them to a hypoallergenic formula, they are very unpalatable to some babies. And <coughs> switching feeds is not easy. I mean, you know, if you try and, Absolutely. I mean, we we can only use one brand of formula at the moment yep. because Lara's just picky about it. She's got a thing. She likes it. You know, it's like so. It's like as grown ups, we all have our favourite. You know, some people are Coke people, some people are Pepsi people. Um, So 
If you try and switch and the formula is not palatable to the child and that is their main source of calories, then we interview a mother in the program who really struggled with weight gain. That's a, we don't have data on how often that is happening, but I think that's a, that's a real concern. Um, the second thing is that the instance of the breastfeeding mother, a mother who is already exhausted and breastfeeding and who tries to then go dairy-free if they aren't already doing yeah. that, that is a huge ask yeah. for a breastfeeding mother. Yeah. You just have yeah. to change it, you know. need and to get some chocolate inside you. you yeah. Right, I mean, it's, when you're, also, you're just, you're just in survival mode those mm. first few months. So I think there is then a, a substantial risk that a breastfeeding mother who switches to dairy runs the risk of going, this is all too much. And also the psychological thing of saying, I'm concerned now that my yeah. breast milk is actually yeah. harming my child. Mm. So we're looking then at a possibility of, um, there is a risk, I think, that some women will stop breastfeeding. We don't have data. It's a slightly theoretical concern, mm. but it's something we have to be alive to. And it is not something I feel that the people I have spoken to in the industry are particularly alive to. So I, I wonder if it's, sorry to interrupt, but I, I wonder if this is just part of the conversation that every... <laughs> New, you know, every certain new parent's hands now in the first year of their child's life. It comes up in some way or other. Lindsay, my wife, and I had a conversation at some point about allergy. Oh, is Ben? Oh, yeah. Do you think cow's milk? Yeah. Because I think there was there was a couple of instances where he had a bit of a rash around his mouth. Yeah. Or he yeah. had a bit of diarrhoea, and then there's a conversation. Oh, Lindsay. Oh, well, I, I did eat a lot, and she's breastfeeding. And oh, I did eat a lot of cheese the other day. Yeah. yeah it's almost like it's kind of wormed its way into yeah. our consciousness. Yeah. So it's it's there as a potential problem. Yeah. Before, as you said, before there are any symptoms, and before yeah. there's any reason to believe it's a problem. Yeah, and we live in a society where. I'd be interested to know the uh, diagnosis of adult food allergies graph compared alongside the child allergy, you know, mm. milk allergy, because it feels like more people I know are allergic to stuff. We talk about gluten, you know, gluten being a big thing, mm. but, you know, I'll be really celiac or whatever. It's, it feels like when I was younger, there was a couple of kids in primary school who had goat's milk. When I was a lad, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, generally, I think what, what we, I think what is true is that allergies are increasing for reasons that we do not understand, um, and I think there is certainly around some conditions a sort of negotiated area where one man's intolerance is another man's allergy. But I think real true allergy mm. is, I think most people believe that is increasing, mm. and and it is serious. I'm not. It's difficult. I, I kind of am not... My issue in this particular case is not about trying to make parents more worried about the diagnosis. It's the, the responsibility of is on... Is on doctor. It, well, actually, industry have a responsibility yeah. to make money. That's mm. what they've got to do. And yeah. we all know that. That's yeah. their legal obligation is yeah. to make money. And so it's really up to the medical profession. You know, the jury is in on what happens when we partner with profit makers... Mm. We all know that now. There's really good, strong guidelines about about the pharmaceutical industry and the influence they have. And there are also really good guidelines about infant formula. But there's there's become this kind of exception clause almost yeah. about cow's milk allergy and maybe we're allowed industry funding to do that. So it's a foot in the door mm. for those manufacturers. So I guess you're speaking in that case then to doctors. Because we've already said, you know, it's, it's a big ask for a parent to do all the due diligence on a medical profession. I've really, I mean, I've dodged that question. You said, what should a parent do? And I, the truth is, I, I would encourage open-mindedness 
about the fact you might just have a a basically healthy child who, like many children, gets eczema, gets yeah. I mean, like you know, Lyra ticks all the boxes, yeah, yeah. but and yet she's a healthy, happy yeah, child. Yeah. I mean, Jackson had a rash recently. It covered his body. It was blotchy. It was red. Yeah. You know, the nursery rang up. We took him to the doctor. The doctor was like, "Well, he's not got anything else wrong with him. It's probably just he's had a virus and it's a rash attached yeah. to that." And over, we got some, you know, cream to rub on him so it didn't dry out. And it's gone. He's fine. He had no. He looked down at his body a few times and pointed, and I explained to him they were tiger stripes. So he, <laughs> you know, he <laughs> thought he was a tiger. Yeah. Um, but he was fine. He was fine. Uh, and you, you know, we've got a friend who's got the child with milk allergy, in inverted commas, and now the child's getting bigger. It's started to impact. It's not just formula. It's dairy and yeah. it's you know all of the things that yeah. they can't have there but quite, yeah. she's starting to be reintroduced into a little bit like some butter and toast yeah you know that that kind of stuff, to, to see where we are again with a, a friend who's got a child at fish seems to really upset them being a man mm. so they're starting to just introduce a little bit but we just want to we want to label everything don't we as a generation of parents i do feel like at the risk of sounding like it, it back in my day um that we are now more we are very very cautious as parents i say that myself about the way i am with my son but we almost want to put these labels on things we want reasons for things and actually there's so many variables in terms of the way kids act or behave it's easy to think of having a child as as a series as a set of medical problems to be solved and the truth is children under the age of five have a friend of mine who's a pediatrician described children under the age of five as functionally hiv positive they don't have a very effective immune system so they're just going to get ill constantly mm. and that should be seen as a normal part yeah. of childhood rashes skin problems it's all normal however there are certain conditions that these atopic and allergic conditions we are seeing increase i think i think it's just i don't have a really strong bit of dogmatic <coughs> advice what i'm very conscious of is when you say to a parent who believes their child has calcium allergy you have a normal child, that's immensely invalidating for that parent. They feel insulted, they feel shamed, they feel foolish. And I see that as a a culture created by profit makers uh, rather than a necessary culture. Mm. And what I have found very difficult is to critique the drugs and the structures and the systems without parents feeling mm. like mm. I'm having a go at them. Mm. Mm. It's a reminder, isn't it, to doctors, and they, I'm sure they didn't need reminding, but how much we rely on them for, uh, you know, how much trust of yeah. ours no, they the carry. unbelievable. You and if you, if you have, a, you know, most of the GPs I've ever worked with, either professionally or filmed with, are just so gifted at doing that thing of saying, I believe you, I take you seriously, and I hear you, but I can also reassure you, your child that you are so worried about is fine, mm. and I'm going to send you home. But I remain open-minded, and we will yeah. see you back in 24 hours. <laughs> I've always hours. appreciated that yeah. t- that tightrope because Ben, as we mentioned, Ben's had quite a few medical issues: Great Ormond Street surgery and various scares in hospital. And I've always really appreciated those doctors that can walk that line yeah. between not being patronising, but also validating what you're saying it's, yeah. it's a really it's a really yeah. really difficult balance i can you're not really appreciate thick. that you're not neurotic yeah you're just a normal person concerned about your child yeah. and it's really important what what would be nice is if gps had enough time like i can do with my patients in my 
big hospital, if they're in, admitted, I can go, well, I don't know what's wrong with you today, mm. but we'll do a few tests and yeah. I'll come back tomorrow and maybe you'll be better, but we'll, we'll hold off mm. treating you. But a GP, you know, it's so hard to get a GP That's appointment now. Difficult. And that is that is not the fault of the individual I remember, GPs. I remember apologising to some doctors or some of the nurses or something in the hospital because it turned out, you know, Ben was fine. And I said, I'm really sorry, I feel like I've wasted NHS resources here. I feel really bad. And they were all, to, to, you know, all that, don't be ridiculous. Like, your son was really not very well. Of course yeah. you were right to bring him in. It's absolutely yeah. fine. Yeah. Um, and that's that's exactly what you want to hear in that situation because yeah. you don't want to feel like you've been a stupid, overly protective, overly cautious mm. parent. Well, you are. We had one of our first podcasts with the doctor, wasn't he? And he, he, he said how important parents, you will know your kid better than anybody. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you're the person that knows you're the yard stick, you're, if there's anything wrong with your mm. child or whether it's, as you described, just, you know, a bit kind of snotty or yeah you know, or whatever it is um, we're all going to be cautious about our kids i think that's the, that's that's never going to yeah, change is it but we we were we'll be cautious about kids but i think we, from what chris has said sort of wrapping it up a bit is you've got to raise your head and look and go okay well this information that i'm getting where am i getting it from mm. why is it question and what are the that, harms that, i think the key thing is what are the harms of diagnosis and what are the harms of treatment getting a label is massively useful for some parents and for others, it is stigmatizing and unneeded, and it leads then to treatments. And I, I would say that all medical treatments, almost without exception, have some harm. You and that shouldn't make sure, us yeah. anxious about them. They also do great, you know, Calpol being a great example. It is a near miracle drug on the instant, in the instances when you need it, but you just need to not give it the whole time. And I think that mm. idea that we are applying to Calpol can be applied to all conditions from cowpaw to, you know, from fever to mm, cancer. Mm, mm. That sounds uh, like a good point. Yeah. Perhaps on which to wrap up. We've been talking for ages. Please watch Chris's show. It's, it's, it's fascinating. There's some, uh, also some interesting stuff on, on about um, attention deficit disorder in teenagers. Uh, I don't think we said the channel it's on, Chris. What, it's channel? BBC One. It's not, no, it's not. It's BBC Two. <laughs> it's 9pm and it's this Wednesday the 23rd yeah. and then it's next Wednesday the 29th. The 30th. 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 <laughs> <laughs> ah, basic arithmetic. Anyway, look, it's all on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you know, type it into your browser. Wednesday yeah. the 23rd, yes. BBC One, 9pm, and the following Wednesday as well at 9pm. 9, 9 again? Yeah, BBC Two. Um, well, and if you've got any comments you want to add to, uh, to our discussion today, you can email us at firsttimedads at reachplc.com. Um, and also, please do subscribe, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. It helps other people find us. Marvellous, yeah. Thank you. That will do thanks us. Thanks very much for, for having me. Thanks, well, thanks for having us in your house, Chris. Um, it's been lovely. I um, hope everyone's found that very informative and enjoyable, um, and we'll catch you next time. Thanks.